Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Well, today I have the privilege of turning over the broadcast to my co-pastor and dear friend, Pastor Dan Fisher. Of course, when I was diagnosed with cancer and we were beginning a work in Florida and some other things that we were involved in, Pastor Dan came and joined us in our ministry here at Fairview Baptist Church, and it has been a real joy to work with my dear friend these past two years. And we look forward to our labors together in the future until the Lord calls us home individually or until the Lord blows that shofar or the angel of the Lord blows that shofar and we're caught up to be with the Lord in the air. Well, you will enjoy this short series of sermons that we air over the next several days as Dan looks at some of the consequences that we may face as Christians. And he's going to contrast some of the successes that we celebrate in Scripture and also some of the tragic outcomes to some of God's finest saints that we also learn about in Scripture. So enjoy part one as we begin a four-day series on a message entitled, Souls or Stones? We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. I want to preach a message today that's kind of a two-part uh, sermon, and, and I hope that we can get a good start on it, because I want to talk today about how God uses times in our lives, sometimes we don't even understand why the things go the way they go, why things turn out the way they do, but He uses them in our lives, and it's able for, a, I mean, it, it, we are able to glorify God no matter where we are or when we are. So I want to begin this message today called Souls and Stones. And if that doesn't make sense to you, hopefully by the time we're finished here in just a few minutes, it will. As a missionary to Africa, Scottish, his name was Robert Moffat. As you can see, he lived in the 19th century. And he said something that the first time I heard it, it has stuck with me ever since. And I've repeated it many, many times, but this is the original source. He says, we shall have all eternity in which to celebrate our victories, but only one short hour before the sun sets in which to win them. He is so right. Life takes on such perspective when you recognize that it is so brief. And as I continue to age, of course, I'm really beginning to understand just how brief it is. And how important moments are that you intentionally spend to invest in your family, in your children, in your grandchildren. Friday, Pam and I, with the help of uh, uh, our daughter and then son-in-law met us a little bit later, took all the grandkids except for Levi. He just wasn't up for the trip yet. But we took the other four up to a place around Bartlesville called Woolerock, if you know where that is. And we just had a great day, and the kids enjoyed it. Now, uh, ma'am and geese were worn out when we got home. Let me tell you, we barely made it in the front door, and we nearly fell on top of each other. We were, we, we've just lost it. I don't know what's happened to us, but we used to be able to handle it, but you just can't handle it anymore. But we walked away from, fri from Friday with such memories made, 
And I guarantee you those grandchildren will remember those days all their lives. It's so important that we take the opportunity to make life count while we can. And ultimately, of course, for him. Make it count for him. We'll have all eternity to celebrate it, but only this little hour in the sun, as Moffat says, to gain these great victories. And I fear that the American church has missed great opportunities to be used by God to do amazing things. Now, maybe... Because of what we're going through, as I said a moment ago, we're awakening somehow. And if this is what it took, then so be it. But I'm troubled. You're troubled. We don't know what life after November is going to look like. I hate to place so much emphasis on the election of a president. But in the downward slide in which we find ourselves and cities on fire and left us now no longer even trying to hide about their socialist communist views. Paul, over the last two weeks, has taught us what that is all about and reminded us of the tremendous damage and destruction communism brings, Marxism brings, wherever it goes. This election could turn it all downward to the point that it cannot be stopped. Now, right now, I believe and I am convinced that we're going to see President Trump reelected. In fact, I'm even praying that we take back the House of Representatives. That would just be marvelous, wouldn't it? But here's the thing. All of us are troubled because we think, well, what if that doesn't happen? What if Hollow Joe is elected as president, probably will not serve as president for just maybe a few months, and then admit that he has dementia, and whoever his VP pick, of course now, Uh, Kamala Harris will become president of the United States. And even though they are trying to sell her off as a moderate, guys, she's anything but a moderate. She is a far extreme leftist. So my heart's troubled. I think about the world that my children and my grandchildren will live in if that were to happen. Because I think if that does happen, that'll finish us off. The republic will be gone and probably um, irreparably lost. I think about my final years. What will, what will my final years be like? And if your heart is gripped by that kind of a fear, I hope that this message in the next will help to soothe those fears. Because even if the worst happens, heaven is not in panic. The Godhead is not having an emergency session where they're all gathered around a table scratching their heads saying, what are we going to do? God never says, wow, I didn't expect that. That never happens. God's people through the centuries have faced uncertain days. And some of his choicest people have faced terrible days. But isn't that what makes them heroes in our hearts and in our minds? Aren't the stories of the people who've gone through the fire and whether they were saved in the fire or not, aren't those the stories that light us up? I mean, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a very faithful Lutheran pastor in Germany 
But isn't his story of standing against the Nazis and his willingness to put himself out there on the line so much so that he was captured, imprisoned, tortured some, and then executed just two weeks before the Allied forces liberated the camp where he was? Doesn't that add to the brilliance and the glory of what God did through him? And countless other stories. Friends, I'm here to tell you That we cannot order our lives by who's going to be elected as president coming November. We cannot order our lives as to whether or not we're going to live in a flourishing republic or a dying republic or a dead republic. I obviously prefer flourishing republic. That's what I've known most of my life. But I have no guarantee that that's my future. I cannot order my life based upon what might happen. Somehow in my life, I have to have an anchor of my soul that is so solid and secure and steadfast that like those three asbestos boys who wouldn't bend, bow, or burn in the book of Daniel, they said, King, God is able to save us in this fire, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. We've got to have that kind of faith. Many of you probably know the story of Jim Elliott, a missionary to the Alka Indians in South America. God had placed it upon his and a number of other companions' hearts to begin a mission work there. And they had spent a number of years preparing. And once they had made all the preliminary contacts with the tribe, finally landed the plane there in the jungle. And as they went out to meet some of these tribesmen, they'd been deceived. And the tribesmen killed all of them, including Jim Elliott, just a young man. Had just not long before been married to Elizabeth Elliott. Some of you may have followed her over the years as she has continued to faithfully serve the Lord. But he had written something in his diary just not long before he died as a martyr in South America. You've heard this before, but listen to what he said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You and I, hopefully all of us, have given our lives to Christ. If you have not, my friend, then your life can count And your eternity can be certain and secure in Christ. Give your life to him today. Why in the world would you trust in men watching what's going on? A man in a concentration camp was one time asked who was a believer in God. They said, well, how in the world after all this has happened in this concentration camp with these Nazis, how could you believe in God? He looked at them and said, with all that has happened in these concentration camps, how could you believe in men? Give your life to Christ. But for those of us who have, my friend, you have something that the world cannot take away. You have something that the world cannot silence. You have a message. There is a fire in your heart that even all of the attack of hell itself cannot extinguish. Because that is built by God's Spirit. Now, why the title, Souls and stones. Well, when you look, look through history as God has worked in individuals' lives, sometimes it's a head-scratcher. 
People have come to me and said, Dan, why did some things happen to some people and not to others? I don't know. I honestly do not know. Looking at it with 2020 hindsight vision, I can always see clearer looking backwards than I can forwards. I can sometimes see how God has used certain things, but just do the comparison of Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. The book of Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says that, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now when you have an invitation and 3,000 people give their lives to Christ, you've got a revival on your hands. But not only that, you've got a large crowd. So the crowd would have been at least, what, three or four times that size? 3,000 converts? So you've got 3,000 souls, and Peter gets to celebrate, and you've got to believe that spiritually he and the other leaders were flying high at that moment. Now let's fast forward just a little bit to one of the first deacons who was also a mighty preacher. One of his sermons is found early in the book of Acts. His name is Stephen. His word means a crown. You remember because of the message that he was preaching, not because of his attitude, not because of bad delivery, but because of the message, they took him outside and stoned him to death. The Bible says when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. This is the same invitation call, a different result. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now there's nothing in the life of Peter that would lead me to believe that he deserved 3,000 souls. And there's nothing that I read about Stephen that would lead me to believe that he deserved 3,000 stones. And yet both of them experience very different results, at least in the natural, in what we can see. Peter gives an invitation, 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. Stephen preaches a similar message. He gets 3,000 stones thrown at him and dies while calling on God. People gnashing their teeth at him. Sounds kind of like a deacon's meeting. But anyway, he was being gnashed at. So what am I to conclude? Here's what I am to conclude. Both of these men were godly, godly men. One got souls, one got stones. What will it be for me? What will it be for you? I don't know. It may be the 3,000 souls. Paul, it may be the 3,000 stones. I don't mean for him. For all of us. But notice that both men are glorifying God where they are. We'll come back to Stephen at the end. It shouldn't surprise us though. The Bible warns us about this. Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You say, well, God didn't deliver Stephen. I beg your pardon. We'll come back to Stephen in a moment. We'll just see if God delivered him. John 16, 33, you're familiar with this. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In John 15, 18 through 21, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. 
Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know him who sent me. Luke 14, 27. And whoever does not bear his cross, an instrument of execution... The word excruciating was invented to describe the pain inflicted by crucifixion. Excruciating, excruciating, crucifixion. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Listen to what Paul told a young preacher named Timothy. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, not might, will suffer Persecution. Here's the summation of Paul and Barnabas early in the church period when they're going around preaching. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples, Acts says. Luke wrote it down. Exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, here was their message. We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Peter puts it like this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. None of us want persecution. None of us. None of us want hard times. I don't want a depression. I don't want a pandemic. I don't want to be lied to. I don't want to see the socialists take over our republic. I don't want to see Donald Trump defeated by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and all of their leftist cronies. I don't want to see all of the corruption and wickedness that's been done over the last four years as they've done all kinds of things to try to stop the good things that President Trump has been trying to do. I don't want to see any of that. But I have no guarantees. And when I read God's Word and I look at God's people I find that God warns us that many times when we stand for what is right, we pay a price. We pay a price. Now, this is not intended to be a doomsday message because I really do believe. I really do instinctively. And a lot of people ask me, I believe the election will not not only turn out well, I think it will go exceedingly well. I'm serious with you. I really do believe that. But whether it does or it doesn't, how am I to live my life? And what happens even if it goes well in another four years? What happens then? You think the leftists are going to just throw in the towel and quit if they lose this election? Of course not. They'll double down and come back with more wicked fury than they have right now. You think the devil doesn't hate liberty? You think the devil doesn't hate the church in America? You think the devil isn't doing everything within his power to stop what God is trying to do? 
So in God's providence, sometimes we get souls. Listen to Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith chapter. Through faith, these believers subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fly at the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. All of us want to be in that group, right? Every one of us want to be those ones who are escaping the edge of the sword. Every one of us want to be the ones who are locked up in a den and the lions are given lockjaw by God. That's what we all want, right? Sometimes it's 3,000 souls. Most of us, what we've heard of David Livingston, we get the idea that he was just an explorer. Truth is, he was a committed Christian missionary. He was actually the son-in-law of Robert Moffat that I quoted a while ago who said that we only have just a little time to earn these victories, then we can celebrate them for eternity. Well, David Livingston was Robert Moffat's son-in-law. He married Robert Moffat's daughter. He was a great Christian. All we know basically of Dr. Livingston is, you know, Dr. Livingston, I presume, that's about all we know. He was more than an explorer. And on his missionary journeys, one night he was sitting by his campfire and he heard in the distance drums of a village of savage people who he knew were intending on coming to kill him. And he sat there all night worrying about when his brutal death would come. Because the drums and all the sounds he heard meant that it was war drums and that his life would soon be over. I want you to listen to what he wrote in his journal. Felt much turmoil of spirit in prospect of having all my plans for the welfare of this great region and this teeming population knocked on the head by savages tomorrow. But I read that Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. This is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. I will not cross furtively as I had intended. Why should such a man as I flee? I shall take observations for latitude and longitude tonight, though it may be the last. I feel quite calm now. Thank God. He writes that thinking that he's about to be bashed in the head. Well, it never happened. And he lived to see the next day, and the next, and the next, and the next. And for him, it was 3,000 souls. But notice how he resolved in his heart, regardless of what happens tonight, I'm going to go on with my tasks. I'm going to record my latitude and longitude so that I can make plans to go forward in the work that God has given me tomorrow. Though tonight may be my last. But sometimes in God's providence, it's stones. Some of the greatest people who have ever lived got the stones, not the souls. Back to that Hebrews 11 passage. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Now catch this next phrase. Of whom the world was not worthy. These were not carnal Christians under the disciplinary hand of the Lord. These were people whose walk with God was so sincere and so pure that the word of God says the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Well, people who the world was not worthy of got 3,000 stones. It may be stones for me. If it is, you know what I hope I'm doing the night before? Taking latitude and longitude and getting ready for the task of the next day. It may be 3,000 souls for me. Then you know what I hope I'm doing right after that? Taking latitude and longitude for the task of the next day. I'm on mission here. You are on mission here. You're not here by happenstance. God has a purpose for you. One of the greatest Christians any of us know anything about is a man who wrote over half the New Testament. And listen to what Paul says in Acts 20, verse 23, of his prospects for ministry. The Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and persecutions are waiting for me. Oh, goody, goody, I can't wait. What kind of ministry prospects are those? Here's just a little list of the things he experienced. He was rejected. He was kidnapped, beaten, threatened, arrested many times, accused in lawsuits. Kind of has a familiar ring to it, doesn't it? Interrogated, ridiculed, ignored, abandoned by his closest companions, by the way, which inflicts the greatest damage. Shipwrecked, bitten by a viper that should have killed him, and finally murdered. Quite the ministry resume. I am convinced that the average Baptist church today, were they to look at Paul's resume without seeing the name, would reject him immediately as their next pastor. And yet he's one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. He's one of those ones that I'm convinced Hebrews is referring to when it says, of such the world was not worthy. But guys, for most of his ministry, it was 3,000 stones. Yeah, yeah, there were souls mixed in, but it was mostly stones. Here's another missionary to places like China, India, and as you can see, Africa, C.T. Studd. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time as we take step two in this message, Souls or Stones. Until next time, may God richly bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org 
or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.